Tongues were never, ever meant, ever, to edify the tongue speaker. Every spiritual gift, every spiritual gift was meant for others, to help others in some way, shape, or form. Would you open your Bible, please, to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter number 12. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. We are continuing in our study on spiritual gifts. And chapters 12, 13, and 14 of the book of 1 Corinthians was written to correct some problems. The church of Corinth managed to mess up just about everything, including the spiritual gifts. And um, one of their problems at the church was this gift of tongues. So it's one of those subjects that require us to uh, set aside uh, maybe what we've been told or what someone else has told us or um, basically just to look at God's instruction manual and see what it says. Um, Last uh, couple of messages, we saw here the Apostle laying some foundational truth. This is the only way we're going to properly understand the gift of tongues and what it's all about, is if we understand the foundational truth. In chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, he was essentially separating the Christians from the non-Christians within the church, within the church. If you just turn a page or two to chapter 15 and verse number 34, you'll notice Paul writing says, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. In so writing, he was saying that uh, in your church, you've got a bunch of unsaved people. They don't know how to be saved. And I speak this to your shame. Now it's sad, but it's very true that in many churches where they emphasize the spectacular and the miraculous and the tongues and so on, they don't teach a proper gospel. Many of them teach an evidence of salvation being the speaking of tongues. Maybe you're familiar with some of this. Uh, Pastor Devian attended a church for a number of years that emphasized the spectacular, the miraculous, and tongues. But he never heard the gospel. It was only when he started coming to our church that he heard the gospel and was saved. And then he started growing. He went through our Bible college and graduated and we hired him on. And Boy, we're so glad we did. What a blessing Pastor Devian is to our church. But just saying that to say that Really, honestly, truly, not much has changed in 2,000 years. Churches that tend to emphasize uh, certain things de-emphasize the gospel. So that's not so good. But it's true. It was true 2,000 years ago. It's true today. So um, in verses 1 to 3, he talks about uh, this and reminds them in verse 2 that at one point they were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. And verses 4, 5, and 6, he starts talking about real spiritual gifts that only 
Christian people have. And if you'll take a look, please, in verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit, now that's the gifts. You can go back to verse 4, the diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And these are manifested. Verse 7, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man. That's every Christian man. Unsaved people are not given spiritual gifts. Saved people are given spiritual gifts, not the unsaved. However, folks, we have an enemy called Satan. And what Satan loves to do is he looks at God's original and he brings in an imitation. And he does that with the gospel. He doesn't want people getting saved. He doesn't want people getting born again and getting rescued uh, from going to hell and now going to heaven. He doesn't want that at all. And so what he does is he sets up alternatives. And he's always done that. Back in the days of um, Solomon's son Rehoboam, Rehoboam, uh, as you know, is the guy who split the kingdom north and south, if you know anything about Israel's history in the Old Testament. And so the south stayed with um, the temple in, in Jerusalem. The north, they split, and what they did was they sent up, set up two separate worship centers with uh, golden calves, and they brought in a substitute. And it worked. It really worked. And it kept the people from coming back to Jerusalem, and that would, re- would have reunited the nation. And so the devil's always had his substitutes, always, even today. Substitute gospel. There's the prosperity gospel. People think they're saved because they're prospering. They're, they're getting uh, things happening. They're, they're getting money. They may be getting healings. And they think, I must be saved. There are amazing uh, number of stories of people who think that they're right with God because they're rich. Say, why, why wouldn't I be right with God? God has blessed me. That must mean that I'm, I'm in tight with God. Um, a number of years ago, a lot of years ago, when we began our deaf ministry, I started learning some more about the deaf culture, and I, I learned something that I never knew before, that many deaf people think that because they're deaf, they're going to heaven. Because they've been punished in this life, God wouldn't punish them again in the next life. So therefore, in their mind, they're going to heaven. You see how the devil brings in these imitations, these substitutes. I'd like to show you this if you keep your finger there in uh, 1 Corinthians. Go back to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9. And here in verse 1, we have wisdom. Proverbs 9, verse 1, Wisdom hath builded her house. She hath hewn out her seven pillars. I think we're, we're all familiar with this, aren't we? Very familiar passage of Scripture here. But look in verse 3. She hath sent forth her maiden. She crieth upon the highest places of the city. Now keep that in mind. And here's what they're saying. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. As for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Come, eat of the bread and drink of the the wine which I have mingled. Forsake the foolish and live and go in the way of understanding. That's what the real genuine wisdom says. But the devil brings in his clever counterfeit. And here it's in verse 13. It's the foolish woman. In verse 1, it's the wise woman. Essentially, it's um, uh, contrasting wisdom and foolishness. That's what this is doing. So in, in wisdom's case, that's God, godly wisdom, we know what wisdom says. Now, for the devil's 
duplicate or substitute in verse 13. A foolish woman is clamorous. She's simple, knoweth nothing. She sitteth at the door of her house on the seat in the high places of the city. Now that's interesting. If you go back to verse 3, she sent forth her maidens. She crieth upon the highest places of the city. You see, foolishness is doing exactly the same thing wisdom is doing. And what else here? Uh, to call to passengers who go right on their way. Well, that's exactly what wisdom's maidens are doing. And verse 16, Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither, as for him that wanteth understanding. That's what foolishness is saying. And if you go back to verse 5, uh, sorry, verse 4, wisdom says, Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither, as for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him. So, so far, it's exactly the same, isn't it? But now this is where it gets different. The message spoken by wisdom and the message spoken by foolishness, they're not the same, they're different. Wisdom's message here, come eat of the bread uh, and drink of the wine which I have mingled, forsake the foolish and live and go in the way of understanding. That's the message of wisdom. What's the message here of foolishness? Stolen waters are sweet and bread of, uh, eaten in secret is pleasant. That's the message from foolishness. But that's the devil's counterfeit. Everything up to that point is the same. She gets on the highest places. She calls to everyone, whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. That part's all the same. But when you get in the door and you start hearing the message, it's different. Wisdom and foolishness have a different message. The devil always brings in his substitutes, his, his duplicates, uh, he doesn't want God's people, he doesn't want people becoming God's people, and he doesn't want God's people coming to a knowledge of the truth. Because Jesus said, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? What? Set you free. Free from what? Free from the devil's lies. Free from the devil's bondage. Free from all of the cares and the worries and the stresses and so on. God's word will give us joy and peace and, and, and growth and wisdom. The devil comes along because we'll see about that. And so what the devil does is he brings in a substitute. He's always done it. And he was doing it down, there down in, in Corinth. This is what was happening. They were, they were experiencing ecstatic babbling. Ecstatic babbling. Now, in the church of Corinth, there was the real New Testament, first century gift of tongues. We're going to learn all what that was. But also in the church, you had people that were coming in from the temple of Aphrodite. And I mentioned this to you, I believe it was last week, the temple of Aphrodite was a very prominent religious house in the city of Corinth. Corinth wasn't a little city. It was like 400,000 people. It, it wasn't as large as, you know, Surrey. We were around 600,000, but it was a huge city, 400,000. The Temple of Aphrodite, uh, everyone knew it. And all of the pagans went there. It was very common, common, common. That's why they had a thousand priestesses. And basically, it was just a house of prostitution. It, when, when you get to the, the bottom line, that's all it was. But it was done under a religious guise. You had to worship Aphrodite. She was the god of, of love and of fruitfulness. And if you wanted to have a, um, a fruitful family and healthy children and good crops in the field, you had to worship Aphrodite. Part of that worship 
involved prostitution with a priestess. And during those um, times, they would speak in ecstatic babble. So when some of these people came into the church of Corinth, they heard, oh, listen to all that. We can do that too. And so it started to mingle. And it became a horrible mess. And this is why Paul took the time and three chapters is a long time in the Word of God to deal with the subject. And he's basically dealing with this problem here. So understand this, that ecstatic babble has been done for thousands of years. Did you know that the, uh, the Buddhists, uh, as, as far back as, uh, what is it, 1100 B.C. or something like that, the Buddhists, there's records of them speaking in ecstatic babble. Uh, in Muslim groups ar- around the world, down through the years, they also uh, have record of speaking in tongues. Um, up in the north, the Inuit, or as some call them, the Eskimo, have also been known for ecstatic babble. Uh, in some uh, tribal um, uh, countries in, uh, in Africa, they get into voodooism and witch doctors and ecstatic babble. It's not something, this tongues is not something limited just to the New Testament church. Ecstatic babble has been around a long, 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 long time. Problem is, you can't tell much of the difference between the, the real and the phony. They mix, they intertwine so well. That was what was happening here in the church of Corinth. Well, um, we finished up last week on this verse 7, and we're going to look at it here again, but uh, it says that the manifestation of the Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, were given to every man, that's every Christian man, to profit with all. And the teaching here is that spiritual gifts are for others. They're so that you can serve others, not so you can serve yourself. And in modern times, the modern tongues movement, which really traces its origins from about 1901, a young gal by the name of Agnes, I believe it's Agnes Osman, I stand to be corrected on that name, but around 1901, she claimed, she was in a Bible college, she claimed to have this experience. And then it spread like wildfire through the Bible college and everyone was wanting to do it. And that was the beginning of the Pentecostal movement. It was around 1901, around there. Now, we're not going to get into the history of, the, of Pentecostalism. That's not our, our, our desire, our job here tonight. We just want to look at this thing about tongues. And what does the Bible have to say about it? Tongues were never, ever meant, ever, to edify the tongue speaker. Every spiritual gift, every spiritual gift was meant for others, to help others in some way, shape, or form. But um, before we go any further, uh, let's have a word of prayer, shall we? And then we're going to start getting into verse 8 and starting examining the next few verses here. Heavenly Father, We embark tonight upon a subject that uh, some hold uh, near and dear to their hearts. Lord, I know that all over the world there are people and many good-hearted people. I suppose there are some that aren't so good, but there's a number of of sincere people who uh, claim to have this modern-day gift. Uh, Father, help us to know uh, what does the Bible say. 
Because your word doesn't change and you don't lie. You don't give two different messages and you don't give mixed messages. It's, it rings clear and true. So help us, Lord, to study it tonight. Grow our faith and our love for you and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I suppose I ought to say, before we go any further, my aim is not to attack anyone. My aim is not to make anyone feel bad. Uh, my aim is simply to know what God's word says. I was saved, as you know, in 1975. And I was uh, 18 going on 19 years of age. And in the little, uh, tiny little church that, that I was starting to attend, that's where I first started hearing the gospel, uh, there were two little old ladies in there who um, came to me and said, well, now that you're saved, now you want to get more blessing. You want to get everything God has for you. And I'm a brand new Christian. I say, sure. What do you mean? Well, we're going to a meeting and um, the speaker's going to talk and he's going he's to tell you how you can speak in tongues. And I said, what's that? I'd never heard of that before in my life. I said, what is that? And they said, oh, that, they said, that's wonderful. That's where you get to speak in different languages, heavenly languages too. And I thought, well, that sounds odd. But uh, I don't know. Uh, sure, I'll go and check it out. And so I went with them. And of course, the place was packed. And they had um, people up there that were giving testimonies. And I noticed something interesting, that the guy standing there with the microphone leading everything, he would reach and touch people on the head and they'd fall down. Every single time there was someone standing behind that person to catch them and then lay them on the ground. And I thought, I've never seen that before. And then they said, okay, uh, everyone who wants to come up and uh, get anointed and, and have this fellow, you know, bless you and touch your forehead and you can receive the gift of tongues. So the two ladies said, well, uh, are, you, are you coming? I said, Sure. And so we got in line, and finally we're up on stage. I mean, it took a while, a lot of people. And uh, I remember standing there, and I'm thinking, and I'm praying, Lord, I don't know what this is, but if it's anything that you have for me, I'm, I'm open to it. And uh, I was standing there, and it was my turn. The guy, forget what he said, he put his hand on my forehead, and I could feel him pushing me, and there was hands to catch me right there behind my shoulders. And so it was a natural, down you go, and I'm laying on the platform like everyone else and after a while I thought well I guess it's about time but I was afraid to open my mouth because I didn't know what was going to come out because the two little old ladies told me I'd be speaking in an unknown language so I made my way back to the seat where we were sitting and they looked at me and says well and so I didn't know what to say I didn't know what I was going to do so I said well and then I heard myself say well and I thought, that's English. I understand that. Oh, I guess nothing happened. But you know, it got me wondering, what is this all about? So we, went, we all went home that night, and it's like the Lord said, let's study it together. So I knew one thing. I knew God's Word is true. And so I put myself to studying, what is this all about? As God is my witness... The, the position that I hold today was that same position the Lord showed me 40, almost 47 years ago. And I have since then, I have spoken with so many tongue speakers, I've read so many of their books, I've listened to sermons, but I've studied God's Word. That's the most important thing. I've studied God's Word on the matter. Because I'll tell you, if God wanted 
to give us wings so we could fly around the city of Syria and drop gospel tracts. I'd want wings. I want anything that God wants for us. But I have to keep in mind that as wisdom is crying out, whoso is simple, foolishness is crying out the same thing. And so I have to constantly saying, Lord, you show me, you direct me, because your word doesn't lie. And if this tongues, modern tongues thing really is of you, it'll, it'll say that in the Bible. But the deeper I got and the more I studied, and I studied everything I could possibly study in the word of God about tongues, the more I came up saying, well, it's not the same. The tongue spoken today is not the tongues of the New Testament. And I, I've held that position now for almost 47 years. And so I want to share some of that with you. And we're in chapter 12 of Corinthians. Now remember, we've laid some foundation already that uh, there are genuines and there are imitations. We've laid that foundation. I hope you understand that. And we've also laid the foundations that the Holy Spirit has given spiritual gifts to every Christian. I was talking with my wife this afternoon about this very thing. Now, my wife was saved at a very young age, something like seven years of age. She was born again. She knew she was born again. She knew how she got born again. And she's been born again all these years. She's loved the Lord and followed the Lord. But she said something to me as we were going for a walk this afternoon. She said um, she's growing up with the Christian faith. She doesn't have this big night and day transformation like I had when I got saved. I mean, I was unsaved rascal, you know, for all of these years. And then I got saved. There was this big night and day. Hey, this fella, Steve White, he's not swearing anymore. What's wrong with him? I remember something that Pastor Devian told me. After he got saved, he tucked his shirt in. And I, I said, okay, I'll bite. What is that supposed to mean? And he said, well, at the school, I was going to the high school, everyone walks around with their shirt untucked, see? So I got saved, and I tucked my shirt in. And they said, hey, Devian, what happened to you? Why is your shirt tucked in? And that gave him an opportunity <laughs> to tell them <laughs> that he's received Christ as his Savior. But when, uh, when I got saved, I didn't want to take the Lord's name in vain anymore. I didn't want to do some of those things that, that I was prone to doing and all that drinking that I used to do. And I, it had a hold on me. And the Lord broke those chains. And I, I didn't go drinking anymore after that. Now, my wife didn't have these things. And so her comment to me was, um, yeah, you say, and the Bible says, that we've been given spiritual gifts. Well, I've grown up since seven years of age. I've grown up in the Christian faith. Her mom and dad both love the Lord. Her dad's in heaven. Her mom is over 101 now, I think. 101 years of age, so she, uh, she, may, she may be going to heaven soon, I don't know. But she says, what do you do? And I says, well, that's the purpose of our study on Wednesday nights. We want to study about spiritual gifts. We want to find out what our spiritual gift is. And we're going to get to all of that. So be patient. We want to deal with this first because you see in chapter 12, that's what we start getting into is this subject of tongues. And so we need to know what we're talking about. So please remember that all of the spiritual gifts were all given for the profit of the church. The word profit means advantage or progress. That's what the word profit means. And it's profit with all. It's so that the whole church can profit, not so that this guy can profit. Remember I used the example of the spiritual gift of showing mercy? 
Imagine showing mercy to yourself. That's all you ever did. Well, that doesn't make sense. You have the gift of mercy to go out and help others. The gift of giving. That's a spiritual gift. Imagine giving to yourself all the time, all the time. You'd say, ah, that's crazy. That's so that we can give to missions and we can give to every good cause. That's right. And tongues was the same way. Tongues was never meant for yourself. It was meant for others. And we'll get to that. Who are the others? We'll get to that. But um, most tongue speakers that I've spoken to uh, tell me basically the same thing. They say, well, I don't care what you say. I know what I've experienced. I know that tongues has brought me so close to God. So how do you answer that? Well, biblically, biblically, the New Testament gift of tongues was never meant to bring the tongue speaker closer to God. That's not the purpose of it. The purpose of it was to minister to others. And as I said, we'll get to that, to who the others were. We'll get to that later, okay? But every spiritual gift is for others. But how do you answer someone who uh, says, well, I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what you say. I know what I experienced. And I went up on that platform and he laid his hands on me and I fell backward and I got to my feet and I was speaking, I don't know what language, but I felt so close to God and I do that every single day. And no one is going to stop me. And that's a, a common denominator that I've found. Now, listen, um, that's a person's choice, a person's personal choice. If that's what they want, let them. But that's not what God's Word teaches. You can always pull a verse out to try and back up what you believe. But what does the Bible really say? There are some subjects that are harder to understand than other subjects. Tongues is one of them. Calvinism is another one of those. You have to do a lot of study to really understand. Lately, I've been poking my nose into what's involved to be a pilot. You know, it's scary. It is scary the amount of stuff that a pilot has to know in order to be licensed and legal and able to take a plane off the ground and fly it to whoever, wherever, and then bring it in safely. And the commercial pilots, it's insane what they have to, hoops they have to jump through and everything they have to know and to keep you know, up current with all of the latest changes. It's crazy how much they need to know. You don't learn that overnight. You don't learn that in one sermon. It took me years to get to the bottom of Calvinism, to keep digging and clawing and sifting and examining and praying and comparing and keep digging and doing the whole process over and over until I finally understood it all. They talk about five points of Calvinism. Yeah, I know. I've met every single one of them. But anyhow, we're not here to talk about those things. We're here to talk about the tongues and understand that it's going to take us more than one half-hour Wednesday night sermon to understand tongues. Just know that. But if you will hang in there, you will understand this subject. I can promise you that. You will understand it. We'll take it slow so that everyone can understand it. In order for the church, the local church, to grow and penetrate the world with the gospel, 
it needs spiritual gifted Christians. It's the Christians within the church that are the ones who do the work of the Lord. We don't depend upon the government to do the work of the Lord. The work of the Lord is done by God's people in the local church. The local church is so vital. I mean, it's considered to be the body of Jesus Christ. He is the head, we are the body. So, the Christians have been gifted to be able to do things, certain things. Your hand and fingers can do certain things that your foot and your toes cannot do. Right? And aren't you glad you have a hand? And aren't you glad you have a foot? But you see, they do different jobs, all to do with the body. Likewise, the Christians in the church have spiritual gifts and they have jobs to do. We've got to find out what those gifts are so that we can be about the jobs, be about our, our Heavenly Father's business. Now, in the New Testament, because the churches were brand new, there was this changeover from Judaism to the New Testament church. It didn't happen overnight. Acts chapter 2, you know, the day of Pentecost, it was all Jewish. And it was all Jews there in uh, Jerusalem. And uh, Peter, a Jew, stood up and preached to all of the Jews. And 3,000 Jews got saved. And they had, you know, they didn't call it church. They certainly weren't called Christians at that time. That came years later at Antioch. But over the years, there was this transition. And the church was getting sort of more and more as what we know it today. It was getting formed more with pastors and deacons and people and uh, missions and so on. All those things, they were being developed. And so in those early days there, uh, the churches were new. They required a few extra gifts to help them out. Therefore, we have in the Bible, in the lists, there are three chapters that list the spiritual gifts. And we have uh, what we would call temporary gifts and permanent gifts. Now, when you go to build a structure, you need to have a foundation. That's a permanent kind of thing. It's not something that's here today, gone tomorrow. You lay your concrete and everything, that's your foundation. You're going to keep that. But when you start putting up your walls and working on your roof, you need scaffolding. You have to have the scaffolding for the men, the construction workers, to get up high enough to do their brickwork or their roofing or whatever they do. So you need that scaffolding. But you see, there comes a point you don't need that scaffolding anymore. And by the time we get to the end of the first century, the church didn't need the scaffolding anymore. And there was two or three gifts in particular they didn't need anymore. There were certain gifts given temporary. They're sometimes referred to as sign gifts. Um, So we have temporal and we have permanent spiritual gifts and we're going to get into that. Now please remember, the church belongs to who? Is his name what? Jesus. The church belongs to Jesus. Jesus died for the church. That's Ephesians 5.25. He didn't die for the government. He died for the church. That's important. And listen folks, it's also important that we realize There are a number of what we call parachurch organizations out there. Uh, World Vision is out there trying to feed hungry children. That's great. You know, God bless them. I'll tell you, Jesus did not die for World Vision. 
He didn't die for Campus Crusade for Christ. He didn't die for any parachurch organization. He died for His church. That's who Jesus died for. That's His body. So we need to be very careful. We need to recognize what is a church and what is not a church. And what, what about these uh, Christians out there and they're serving the Lord, but they're not part of the church. They're just out doing their own thing. Let them. Let them. But Jesus died for the church. Anyhow, that's a whole other series of, of um, sermons. He promised, Jesus promised in Matthew 16, 18, He promised He would build His, what? Church. He promised He would build His church. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus died for the church. Jesus promised He would build His church. And so what did He do? He gave spiritual gifts to the Christians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. We just read it two or three times. And we've learned, we are learning that there are some temporal gifts and some permanent gifts. Now, some of the temporal spiritual gifts were given to the church in order to supplement the Christians until the Bible was fully formed. Remember that when the church got started, there was no New Testament. There was no 27 books of the New Testament. They had the 39 books of the Old Testament. That's what they had. And they started the church. And then on in, that's when God started moving on the hearts of the apostles to write the New Testament letters. Apostle Paul was used of God to write 13 of those 27 New Testament books or letters. And it took a long time, right up to about 95 A.D. That's when the Apostle John was finishing up the book of Revelation. And so, until the church had the entire Word of God, we call it the canon, the complete Word of God, the 66 books, the Old and the New Testament together, until that time, God supplemented, Jesus supplemented His church with a few temporary gifts to help them get by. So, some of the temporal spiritual gifts were given in order to reach Jews with the gospel. Now, if you turn back, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. And I want you to read out with me verse number 22. You have that? 1 Corinthians 1.22. Please read it out loud with me now. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. That's a principle that's been true for thousands of years. The Jews require a sign. They, they've been taught that way. God did that in the Old Testament. The Jews required a sign. God would, would often send along a prophet and a sign to back up the the word of the prophet so that the Jewish people would know, oh, this has come true. So, we see here that um, the Jews required a sign. This is why we call some of the, um, the, the, the gifts sign gifts. Signs were things that were meant to authenticate the message as being true. Now, we can see this again in chapter 14, if you'd turn there, please. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse number 22. 
14 and 22. Now we're talking about tongues. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign. Not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying, that's the idea of preaching, serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. And so in this one verse, Paul mentions two gifts. One of them is tongues, the other is prophesying. And he said that the tongues are not meant for the saved, they're meant for the unsaved. And the prophesying is not meant for the unsaved, it's meant for the saved. So right here in this one verse, we can see that the tongues uh, were a gift that acted as a sign to the unbelieving Jews, because it was the Jews who required a sign, not the Greeks. Now we're going to go back to the book of Acts, and... uh, we're going to be probably ending pretty soon here, but I want you to go back to chapter 2 of Acts. And we're going to see this together. In Acts chapter 2, we have the day of Pentecost, and we had, oh, I don't know, 100,000 Jews gathered into um, Jerusalem. Actually, no, come to think of it, according to what I've read, it was more than that. Well, at least on Passover, anyhow, Passover, the ranks would swell upwards closer to a million. That's what I've read. Jews from all over the the then known world would converge on Jerusalem. So this isn't that much past that. Some of them would have gone back to their homes, but there was still a good number of Jews there. The place was full. And in chapter uh, 2, we have the tongues. You see verse 3, there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat upon them. They're all, verse 4, all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now right away, I want you to know, these are not heavenly languages. These are earthly languages. You'll, you'll see it here. Um, verse 5, they were dwelling, under, uh, dwelling at Jerusalem, devout men of every nation under heaven. And when they were noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. There's no heavenly languages there at all. I knew a, an old lady once, a couple of years after I was saved, so back in the 70s in there somewhere, and this lady believed that the reason that you you spoke in tongues was because the devil doesn't recognize it. This was her take on it. She said, when you, when you pray, the devil stops those prayers from going to God. Find that in the Bible. But when you speak in tongues, the devil doesn't recognize them. And they go all the way up to heaven so God can hear them. You see, there's a case there of a person who has invented something or heard someone else invent that because that is not what God says in the Bible. Totally not. I mean, it's a nice sounding fairy tale. Sounds nice, but it is not true. You've got wisdom, you've got foolishness. I'm afraid this one is the foolishness. Um, these were earthly language. And so they even named them. There's 14 of them, 14 languages. You can count them here in verse Number uh, nine, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, and on it goes. There's 14 language groups there mentioned. 
And everyone there that day was hearing Peter preach in his own language. Hey, he's speaking in Mesopotamia. No, he's not. He's speaking in Arabic. Hey, no, you're both wrong. He's speaking in the language of the Elamites. I, I know that language. That's where I'm from. I can hear it. That was the effect of the tongues, is that they were all hearing the same message in their own language. So that was pretty cool. So uh, verse number 12, it says, And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? So the Jews were saying, What's this all about? What is this sign, as it were, all about? In verse 17, we have here the words of Peter. He is um, quoting now from the, from the prophet Joel. And he's saying, It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaiden I will pour out in those days of my Spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth uh, beneath blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. Modern tongue speakers like to point to these verses and say, see, 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 Mr. Know-it-all, see, it says right there that in the last days, he said that, that Peter said, see what's happening, people? This is what Joel was talking about. See, these are the last days and this is when the Spirit of God is pouring Himself out upon all of the Christians and the churches. And, and so we need to be speaking in many tongues as possible. And that's not what Peter's saying. Peter was saying, he wasn't saying that what you've just witnessed is what Joel said. He's saying, let me tell you, sit down, I'm going to tell you what Joel said. And I want you to see, look at uh, in verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you. Notice, after the word words, ye men of Israel, hear these words. You have in your Bible a semicolon. Peter is saying what I'm about to tell you about Jesus. That's what verse 22 is. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. And he goes on to talk about Jesus of Nazareth. Go back now to verse number 16. This is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. You have a semicolon. It's exactly the same grammatical construction. Peter is saying, listen, I'm going to tell you what Joel himself said. And he quotes Joel. He wasn't saying that the day of Pentecost was a fulfillment of Joel. Because it wasn't. Because if you would care to notice, please, verse 19 talks about signs in the earth and beneath blood, fire, vapor, smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood. That never happened on the day of Pentecost and it hasn't happened since. The prophecy of Joel is not for the church age, it's for the tribulation period. But what Peter was saying is that what you've seen today shouldn't surprise you. Because even the prophet Joel, in our own Bible, talks about this happening one day. That's why he quoted Joel. To help them see, oh yeah, our own Bible says these kind of things. So, we get now to verse 22. And the purpose of the sign of tongues. Jesus, he says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs. See that? There's the signs. 
which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. And they knew it. They knew the miracles and the signs that Jesus did. And what was the purpose of the signs? To prove that he was Messiah. He offered himself as king to the nation. They rejected him. They said, we will not have this man reign over us. And of course, they pushed him to be crucified. But the signs, the purpose of the sign of tongues was given to the Jews. There were Jews present on the day of Pentecost. Tongues were given on the day of Pentecost. Who was doing the tongues? It was the twelve apostles. You say, how do you know? It wasn't the, the men and the women. Again, because we believe the Bible grammatically, literally, historically. We believe what God has written to be true. There's no mistakes. And the gender pronouns are masculine. The only ones speaking in tongues were the men. Those twelve actual apostles. I know we see pictures sometimes of the, on the internet of the 120 that all seem to have cloven tongues over their heads. It's not true. It was only the twelve that had it. It was the men that was doing the speaking. You say, what? so what? Well, you're going to find out so what when we get back to Corinthians because Paul said that the women were not to speak in tongues in the church. They were to, uh, to be silent. And the context is tongues. It doesn't mean that a woman can't stand up and give a testimony, say a blessing, sing a song or something. But they weren't supposed to get up and speak in tongues. Most of the... Now, again, there's exceptions. But in my experience, most of the tongues being spoken in most of the Pentecostal slash charismatic meetings are done by the women. So again, it's just another violation of Scripture. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. My purpose is not to put anyone down. My purpose is not to cause any hurt or pain. My purpose is to look at what the Bible says. Look at what the Bible says. We have nothing to hide. We're ashamed of nothing. We're afraid of nothing. Um, Doctrine is meant to be tested. If I said to you, this is solid steel. Oh, really? And you, you go and hit it and it bends like a piece of spaghetti. You say, I don't know if that's real steel. It doesn't seem like steel to me. But if you hit it and your hand hurts, you might say, oh, wow, maybe it is steel. And doctrine is supposed to be like that. You're supposed to be able to hit it. And if it crumbles, well, there's something wrong with that doctrine. I'm telling you, there's something wrong with the, the, doc, the modern doctrine of tongues. It's not the biblical tongues at all. We have run out of time. As you can see, we're starting to scratch the surface. Hang in there with me. Come back next Wednesday and we'll pick it up again and we'll take it the next step. Save your questions. I'm sure we'll get to them. Heaven. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.